Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Susan Desenzi. In today's episode with Holly McNosey, we go into the art of storytelling and body language, two very critical things in your life as this spiritually expressed human. Why? Because the art of storytelling allows us to connect and build rapport with other people, and the art of body language is being able to understand those cues that you get from others and the environment around you to be able to know how to navigate those networking events, those parties, those gatherings in a way that allows you to really share who you are. So I would invite you to listen into this very special episode where Holly actually takes me through right in the beginning a body language IQ quiz. And there's lots of jam-packed tools and tips just in those five questions of this quiz that I took, which I aced, by the way. Woohoo! But also, throughout the rest of the episode, and it's kind of a long episode, I'll warn you of that right off the bat, that we really kind of dove into a bit of storytelling and a bit of the body language. Now, this is just part one. Part two will come in about three, four weeks. Uh, due to scheduling and things like that, we couldn't get it scheduled right away. But part two, we're going to do some more in-depth kind of storytelling uh, techniques and understanding. She's going to actually take me through uh, helping me craft my story. So you'll hear kind of those tips on how to craft your story, as well as more of how body language plays a role. So I really hope that you find tremendous value in today's show. And if you're interested in connecting with Holly, please visit the show notes for the links that will be directly in there so that you can just go ahead and grab it. I hope you enjoy today's show. I'll see you on the other side. I am so honored and excited to have this guest in the house today. I know that when you walk away from the end of this episode, your mind is literally going to be blown by the fact that you truly understand the art of storytelling and body language and how that really plays into your world, whether you're just this, I don't mean just, forgive me for that, whether you're this person who is walking through your life, doing your work, meeting people, you're an entrepreneur, you want to be on a stage teaching, coaching, or speaking at a TEDx event, it doesn't matter. You are going to walk away with tips and tools to really understand how you can show up as the charismatic, born-to-be, badass, resilient leader that I know you are. So let me tell you a little bit about Holly Mignosi. Before I welcome her to the show, because I want you to get a feel for what you're about to dive into, Holly Mignosi is a speaker, a storyteller, and a body language expert. She helps speakers and experts increase their influence and impact through the art of hypnotic body language. I'm so excited about that. And the neuroscience of storytelling. And yes, there is a neuroscience to it. With a combined 30 years experience as a celebrity modeling and acting coach, fitness trainer, and public speaking coach, Holly has helped over 250,000 people embody their message with presence, power, and passion. Super important. 
Holly imparts experts with proven charisma skills, storytelling techniques, and uncovers their hidden talents, tapping into their signature star power on stage. Now, that is exciting just in and of itself. Her techniques help clients land prestigious speaking gigs, powerful partnerships, and global connections. Holly is the CEO and founder of the Dynamic Dream Life Group Incorporated, and she holds multiple certifications in mindset and physicality specialties, such as one of my favorite, neurolinguistic programming, hypnosis, and hypnotic presentation skills and other long words that sound really, really cool. She is grateful to be married to her still very much in love soulmate, Tom. And she's a self-proclaimed seminar junkie, which I thought was cool. Chocoholic, there's my girl. A gardening goddess, love that. Beach bum, oh yeah, I so want to be that someday. And proud mama of two crazy loving kiddos. And one of the cool things about Holly is that you're going to learn about this story of fate. And she'll explain more of that. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Susan, for the warm welcome. It is an honor and a privilege to be here on your incredible show. So thank you so much for the introduction. I'm excited to be here. Oh, and I'm so excited to have you because I know now today we're going to do something a little bit different. Holly is an expert in these fields, right? And and she really can dive into in-depth kind of the art of storytelling and all the neuroscience behind it, as well as body language. We're going to do a little blend of both today. And the cool thing is Holly has this body language IQ quiz that she's going to give to me. I'm going to take it on air right now, and you can play along If you need to re-listen to this later at the very beginning so you can kind of do it and really participate if you're not in a place where you can right now, just kind of keep your your ears and, and your heart open to what it's kind of pulling up for you. All right. So hit me with your quiz, Holly. All right. We're going to just dive right in. We're going right in. We're putting you on the spot. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So if you are listening, then pretend like I'm asking you this question and imagine how would you answer this? And I I want everyone to know, I have not told Susan what any of these questions are. She has no idea. And we're totally putting her on the spot. So first, I want to congratulate you, Susan, for being so vulnerable. (laughs) Thank you. I know I'm scared. I'm not sure. But you know, I'm always, you guys all know, I'm always open, vulnerable, raw and real. And so I'm not going to change any of that for this quiz, no matter how it turns out. I, I love it. I love it. We're turning the tables. We're starting out with a guest asking you questions. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I'm going to ask you five questions. Okay. And then I'm going to give you multiple choice answers. Okay. And I just want you to, you know, really tune into your own gut. You know, what do you think the, that the answers are based on your life experience? So the first question is this. Who, Susan, is better at reading body language? Is it men or is it women? Now we're talking about reading body language, right? So if you're out, you know, say to dinner and you see some people and you're just watching their body language and you're assessing, okay, are they married? Are they a romantic couple? Or, you know, what's going on? So who do you think would determine it best with most accuracy, men or women? I think women. Ding, ding, ding. 
you yes. are 100% correct. Yes, yeah. first one got right. Okay. Yeah. So there was an interesting study that was done and they connected a group of men and women with electrodes and put all the men in one room and all the women in the other room and had them watch and decode body language while they monitored their brain waves. And what they found was that with women, there were approximately 15 different areas of their brain that was lighting up and assessing and and basically communicating and determining what the body language was saying versus men. With men, only eight areas of their brain were lighting up. So they literally were processing the information with half of the power. And we wow. believe this could go back to our caveman days, hundreds of thousands of years of programming where women really work together more in, in really close tight groups, like huddled around fires and we're cooking and we could communicate with just like a simple gesture, like, Hey, grab me the, grab me the fork, grab me the spoon, you know, or mm-hmm. move that this way, small, subtle gestures. Whereas men, as they're out hunting, perhaps they are further away from each other. Maybe they have to make bigger hand gestures. So women are more wired to find and notice small, subtle gestures than men, which is kind of interesting. So I always tell my clients, if you're out to dinner and you see some woman who's giving your eye, you know, your man, the eye or something. And he says, Oh, I didn't even see it. He probably really didn't see it. (laughs) Oh, he really didn't. I love that because I've been with my husband for, uh, we've been married 18 years together, 21 years. And yes, you're stuck. Oh my gosh. There are so many times where I'm like, you didn't see that. You didn't notice that. What about, and he's like, uh, Nope. So, so now can we kind of say, women's brains i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but women's brains are more are, are superior like men are half using half their brain no i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well in this category yes we yes. are wired yeah. we absolutely are wired to read that body language which is always so interesting too if there's a woman that go, goes into like a room or a restaurant and she's dressed you know like she's out on a date and i call it marketing right she's ready to market herself she's saying i'm available yeah all the women in the room will notice before the men do oh, because women, so women recognize the cues the come, come hither, come talk to me cues. Yeah. You know, I'm available. Women recognize other women's cues better than men. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is so fascinating. So fun. That's only question number one, but wait, oh, there's okay. more. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Number two. Uh, and this is a little bit of like a, uh, real life scenario. So if there's a group of people talking, let's say you're at a networking event. Okay. And there's a circle of people talking. What body parts point to the leader or the alpha in the group? So if you look at five people and they're all talking and one person maybe is communicating most of the time, but everyone else's body is is kind of huddled in a circle. What body part points to the leader of the group? Is it their eyes? Is it their heart or is it the last one, their feet? You know, it's interesting you say that because my initial thought was feet, because to me, that's kind of representative of their posturing of how they're standing. And yet, like to be open and receptive would be their heart. I, I think I'm going to go with my first instinct. Their eyes can watch them and follow them and look around, but still be like, 
like I'm I'm in this presence and this personal space of this leader by the way I hold my feet because that postures my body. I'm going to say feet. Ding ding ding! You wow. are 100% right again. <laughs> you got it. Yes, you're absolutely right. We tend to find that parts of the body that are closer to our head, like our eyes, shoulders, even hands, can be easily manipulated. Mm. Meaning maybe it's not what we're really thinking. Maybe we really don't want to be talking to the person that we're talking to, but we don't want to be rude. So oftentimes women will still engage, even if they want to leave their eye, they'll still hold eye contact and their heart will still be facing that person. But if you look at their feet, you'll notice that one foot is pointed at that person and the other foot is like, I want to get away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and women are more notorious for faking that kind, like, I'm not really interested, but I'm going to still watch, you know, still participate than men. Men are a little bit more, uh, more uh, authentic, I guess, when they want out of a conversation. So the interesting thing is how you can use this is if you're in a group speaking to several people, casually just look down at their feet and just notice who is the leader. If all the feet are pointing to you, then you in that moment are the influencer in the group. If all the other feet are pointed at somebody else, then that person is influencing the majority of the people in that moment. Now, if you're one-to-one, like if it's just you and, and one other person and you happen to look down and, and this is a big clue for men and for women. If you look down and you see that one foot is pointing out of the conversation, right? Like we can even see this in our language patterns. Right. Oftentimes we'll say, be square with me, which you're squaring off your body, right? right? You're, you're totally focused on each other. You're open. You're not turning away. You're not turning away from me. Be square with me. But if you notice one foot is pointed to the outside, you could out of courtesy simply say, I noticed that something in that direction has your attention. Would you like to continue this conversation or is there something that perhaps you need to go take care of? And as a woman who oftentimes feels uncomfortable saying to someone, I really need to leave this conversation. It's such a wonderful way to show that you are paying attention, that Mm -hmm. you have sensory acuity. And that person might respond something like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I just got a text. I need to go call home really quick. Or they might say, you know what? I was just waving a friend down, but no, I really still want to be here talking to you. And so it's nice not to assume that you have rapport when you really don't and to give that person an opportunity to take care of something if they need to. Well, and that's what I was just thinking is that what's beautiful about that is it really does show the other person that you're really, truly paying attention to them as a whole, right? Not just in this moment, not just about this particular agenda, maybe, or whatever it is that you might be speaking about together, but that you're noticing the all of them and the whole of them. And to me, if someone does that to me, I'm going to remember them a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to remember that as a moment where they paid attention and you yeah. had an opportunity to go connect with something that was really important versus that was a really uncomfortable conversation I needed out and I, I couldn't figure out how to get out. Yes. And then oftentimes yes. you won't go back to that person because it was so uncomfortable. So you're absolutely right. right. It does save that rapport. Yeah. yeah. 
for sure. Oh, I love this. I'm loving this. Okay. That was only number two. <laughs> that was number two. All right. Here we okay. go. Number three. In a conversation, what does the alpha or the leader of the group influence? So this has to do with body language, influence, and leadership. Okay. Is it the topic of the conversation? Is it number two, the pace at the conversation and when it ends? Is it number three, when to laugh? Or is it number four, all of the above? Ooh. I would say all of the above, actually. Ding, ding, ding. You got it right again. <laughs> oh, Susan. my gosh. <laughs> you got it. Yes, it's actually all of the above because all of those things, the topic, the pace, when to switch, when to end, and even when to laugh, these are all connection signals where we're connecting on the same topic. We're ending the conversation at the same time. Mm -hmm. And even when to laugh, we're wired as human beings to follow the leader. Why? Because there's safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. In our caveman brain, if we don't follow the leader and the leader decides you're no longer in the group, you are cast out to our neurology. That means death. Oh, it's equivalent yeah. to death. Wow. And yeah. so we are wired unconsciously to do the same body language cues. We're matching, we're mirroring. You might even notice if you have a best friend and you guys hold the cup the same way. You say the same thing at the same time. You stand in the same position. I used to have a best friend when I was in the modeling and acting industry and, and we would go outside for a break. And I would always notice that we were standing the same way. She crossed her legs. I crossed my legs. If I was doing this, she was doing this. And it was just something that I noticed Yeah, consistently. We would even say the same thing at the same time. And so it begs the question, who's leading whom? Mm. Yes. And so that's another thing to pay attention to. And so let me add one more thing onto this that is really applicable, right? So if you're in a situation like networking is an easy way to, to use this, and you notice that you've looked at the feet, right? You notice that everyone's pointing to somebody else as the leader and we're laughing and kind of following that leader, but you want to play and see if you can steal the leadership. Okay. Okay. We're, yeah. we're going to play. Let's, let's become the leader in a group where everyone is following somebody else. So here's what you could do. You could match and mirror that leader's body language. Ah. So if they're standing a certain way, you stand that way in case you're not already. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And whatever body language they're doing with their hands or their facial expression, or even their posture, you can match that. And what will happen is people will start to see both of you oh. as similar unconsciously. Does this make sense? It does. Does it confuse them though? Well, it's really fascinating. Let me tell you how I played with this. It was about two years ago. I went to a live event and this is just before the uh, pandemic. And I was considering having my own event. And so I was really paying attention to the leader of the event, because what happened was they were supposed to have 300 people show up and they had 500 people show up. Oh my. So I saw her scrambling with her team, 
trying to figure out how to get all these people in a room. Wow. And then the hotel is trying to bring in chairs. And I was observing this from the perspective as not a participant, but as a leader. Okay. Meaning I was saying to myself, if I was in this situation, how would I handle this? Sure. And so I was watching her. She was in the room. She wasn't like hiding behind stage or anything. She was in the room and I was posturing myself the same as she. And I was just watching how she was directing people. And I was kind of pretending in my own mind that I was going to be doing the same thing. Okay. And something really fascinating happened. A woman turned to me who was a participant and she was sitting at a table and I was standing. So I wasn't sitting like the other participants. I was standing against the wall, just like the host of the event. Okay. She was standing and she was kind of directing. So I was matching and mirroring her body language, but on a different wall. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's at the back. I'm on the side. And a participant turned to me and said, pardon me. Um, do you happen to know what the Wi-Fi code is? <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't, but let me see if I can find out for you. And I was like, that's interesting. So I went and found the Wi-Fi code for her, asked some people who worked there and brought it back to her. And I kept playing this game. What would I do if I was the leader? Yeah. And then someone came in and they walked up to me and they said, um, do you know where they're going to be putting the extra chairs? <laughs> and I said, well, I think they're going to be putting them over there because I'd seen the leader pointing in that direction. Sure. The next thing that happened was a hotel staff member came up to me and said, excuse me, ma'am, where would you like the chairs? As though you're the leader. As though yeah. I was her. Yeah. And I just had so much fun with this. Oh, that's and fascinating. I thought, wow. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm saying to you is don't let these things just be like, oh, that's an interesting fact. Actually play with this in your own life. Yes. And you will see that it can have an immediate effect on you, your environment, and the people around you, and how they perceive you. So what happens when, and I know there's other parts to the quiz, and, and I know, and we'll get there, and I want to, you know, get to your story, yeah, and yeah. just all this, like, God, this could be a three-hour episode. Um, we'll do what a part happens? Two. <laughs> what? I said, we'll do a part two. <laughs> oh, they, oh, that would be amazing. What happens when you don't necessarily feel like you're the leader in this particular group or situation, but you notice from the get-go, people are constantly looking at you right off the bat. They're, I can't, they may be talking to a group, let's say, a large group, but they're singling you out and always focusing on you, always seeming to talk to you. Does that mean that however your posture is, that somehow you're giving off some of this body language that indicates I'm this leader or I'm this kind of person to go to for whatever the situation may be? It could. It certainly could. It would be hard to place that global assessment or that assumption on every situation. Sure. Right. But I would certainly say that if it's your intention to show up as the leader and you're observing that people are coming to you for problem solving, support. Uh, Maybe they're just like, you know, I just kind of felt like I wanted to come up and chat with you. You look like a really, you know, you're at a networking meeting or or a seminar or something like that. Um, I would play with this. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so we'll get into a little bit more about what are the body language cues of leadership versus, you know, if you're the alpha versus the beta. 
for okay. example. And there are very specific body cues that we can easily jump into to be the alpha or be like, nope, today, you know, because sometimes we might feel exhausted. Like, I don't want to lead the conversation. I don't want to be the go-to person. I just want to sit back and observe or participate so we can make that conscious choice if we want to be the leader, or if we want to just be a participant, I shouldn't say just right. But if we want to, we, we set the intention and then allow our body language to, to represent that. And it's a feedback loop. It's a feedback loop. So you can start with body language. Even if, even if you don't feel like, perhaps you feel like, well, I'm supposed to be leading this group, but I'm just not feeling it today, right? Like Mm -hmm. that could happen, Mm -hmm. right? Like maybe you're leading a retreat or you're leading something and something happened the night before. And you're just, you're just like, oh, I'm just kind of taxed. How do you, how do you step into that? If you, you know, quote, don't feel like it. And so because the body and the neurology are a feedback loop, meaning which comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? If you don't even feel like leading, but you assume the body language of leadership, you will soon start to feel the energy and the strength and the influence of a leader. You know, and that, and that makes so much sense. I've heard some people in, in one of the areas of specialty throughout my career, and this is I don't want to give away your story, so I'm not going to say this quite yet, but I'm going to say this piece. It uh, has been uh, substance abuse and addictions. And in that world, we have a phrase, fake it till you make it. And I've heard so many people be like, no, 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 you can't. But I always viewed it from the very lens you're talking about is that if I start to behave in a certain way, my neurobiology, my neurophysiology, my brain, my body will begin to feel certain things that then my mind can hold on to and allow me to step into maybe a different, uh, purer feeling and behavioral pattern, right? 100%. And and that's what it sounds like you were just saying. So it's like, there is some element to that, but it has to be pure of intention and it has to be pure, I believe, it has to be pure of a desire. You know, that my intention is this. I'm not just doing this to make it look a certain way. I really want to step into this. Yeah. And I think that word fake it can in today's in today's world, it's all about authenticity and transparency. And so I think we get we get tripped up on the word fake it till you make it. It just sounds so like, well, I don't want to fake anything. Right. Um, but what you're saying is yes, you can absolutely start with the physical physicality, physical. I'm, I'm combining two words here. Physiology could be physical or physiology. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, you can make up words on this there show. <laughs> A little Hollyism. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can definitely start with your physiology and act as if. So Susan, when you were little, do you remember being little? Do you remember being young? Oh my God. Yes, of course. What did you pretend what was your favorite thing that you could pretend to be when you were young? Like, for example, I would pretend I was a teacher. What did you pretend to be? An actress. An actress. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Did you pretend that you were on stage? Oh, all the time. And a singer, because I would hold the hairbrush in front of the mm-hmm. mirror and yeah. sing to the to the end of the hairbrush as my microphone all the time. All the time. Yeah. And so when you were holding that micro, that that microphone slash hairbrush in your mind, was it a hairbrush or was it a microphone? Oh, it was a microphone. It was a microphone. Yeah. We're wired for this. Yeah. We are already wired and it's our natural state to actually act as if. 
Ah, yeah. We've been doing it since we were kids. And only since we become adults where we taught that's not okay. That's not real. Right. Yeah. And we've been trained out of it. But to pretend and act as if you're already successful, you're already in the love romantic relationship of your dreams. You already have the house of your dreams. That is actually our natural state. Yes. You know, and and it's interesting. And thank you for that. I'm going to change my language. I don't say that phrase a lot, but when I'm referring to it, I'm going to change that language now to act as if, because that's really the truth. I mean, I, I believe this is where kind of, you know, the whole piece of within intention and the law of manifestation, right? The law of attraction and manifestation. It, it, it's much more than that. It's truly act as if it and is. become a whole body embodiment of that yes. Yes. in a very deep, powerful way, which then allows our thoughts and our behaviors to flow from that so effortlessly. Yes. Yes. And boom, then the opportunities. And I would imagine it's the same when it comes to body language, when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to interacting with other human beings. A hundred percent correct. Yeah. And it even can be perceived by people who don't know you. So this is what I mean by that. I had an opportunity a few years ago to be on stage with someone who I held in a very high esteem and a famous speaker. And I was so nervous. I mean, I was just cringing and I was full of self-doubt and, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. He's so incredible. How can I, I thought I was going to go on and speak after him. And I'm telling myself, there's no way I could follow that act. There's no, I'm not good enough. I'm not amazing enough to follow him on stage. And so I started talking myself into a spiral and the spiral Mm -hmm. was going down, not Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I thought, I have to change my thinking. This, this isn't going to help me in any way. <laughs> and so I went back to, well, how have I handled this in the past? And so a situation in the past that my neurology is very familiar with is being in a fashion show, a big show, hundreds or thousands of people, and being super nervous and not feeling confident and not feeling good enough and really hoping I remember the whole routine. And so what I would do is I would stand a little taller, pull my shoulders back a little bit more, put my head up just a little bit more. And I was on my way to Trader Joe's grocery store. And so I said, you know what, today I'm just going to put on that like model attitude. Like I got this, even though there's a part of me that's like, you don't got this. Right. (laughs) You You don't have this at all. (laughs) Right. And so I put on this dress. It was like a little sundress. And I went to Trader Joe's and I was just walking with that, what I would call my old way, my models walk, right? I was like, I'm confident. I've got this, you know, I can do this. And I'm just kind of holding that posture. And as I'm walking through the aisles and you don't go very fast when you're grocery shopping, you know, you're strolling, you're stopping, you're grabbing stuff, you're pushing a cart. And I notice in one of the aisles, this gentleman is kind of staring at me. And I make eye contact, kind of head nod and keep walking. And then, you know, that thing when you're grocery store and you, you and somebody else are going down the aisles opposite. So you see each other down every yes, aisle. Yes. Okay. Well, that was happening. So then I see him again and he's staring at me again. And I'm like, hi, okay. This now I'm a little uncomfortable. And so I keep going and I go down the third aisle and he's getting a little closer to me and it looks like he's walking right towards me. So now I kind of turn and I'm like, I don't know what's happening here. I'm just going to look at like, you know, the, the little pasta balls, you know, little pasta bag of 
of dinner. And so he pauses and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, excuse me. I just couldn't help notice, you know, how attractive you are. And I was just wondering, are you a model? Ah. I have been to that Trader Joe's once a week, maybe twice for the past 10 years. Mm. Not on any other day has anybody ever stopped me to tell me that they thought I was attractive, let alone thought that I was a model. Wow. Yeah. But that day mm-hmm. I was pretending in my mind as if I was, because I wanted to feel that confidence again. Yes. And it was showing up. Yes. People saw it, even though I didn't intend, I wasn't trying to be uh, you know, a show off or anything. I was really trying to fix my own lack of confidence is all right. I was trying to do. Right. And but, people are so perceptive that whether they vo- vocalize that or behaviorally show up in some expressed way about what they're perceiving, they do perceive it and it influences yes. so many things. Maybe the yes. way they see you, what they think, what they feel within themselves even. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. And I thought that was wow. just a beautiful message that you is. Know, from the universe or God, whatever word you want to use, because he didn't have to say anything to me. Yeah. He didn't have to stop me. And I I thought, what a beautiful message, you know, that, um, that everything that I'm doing is, is right on track. Yeah. So I was really appreciative for that. Oh my God. That is beautiful. Yeah. All right. So question. Yeah. That was three and there's still two more, right? We do. We do. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. And number four. Which of the following statements is true for the female alpha? Okay. Okay. A woman can have varying degrees of alphaism in different situations. Or number two, if she's the alpha, she's the alpha all the time. No, varying degrees. Number ding, ding, one. Ding, you got yeah. it right. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So research shows that we could be the leader in charge. I got this. We're number one at work. And when we come home and our partner says, where do you want to go to dinner? We go, I don't want to make a decision. You decide. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, and you know, I think that's also part of kind of the whole human experience, right? And that's, to me, that's part of the humanness is that there's days where I can feel super confident, I can be in that alpha space, I can have, you know, things right on top of each other, click, click, click. And then other days that I'm just like, where you were doubting, speaking after this man, this, this celebrity on this stage, where I have no confidence, I'm totally in doubt, I don't want to make any decisions. And I, I think we can kind of move in and out of those spaces multiple times throughout a day, depending upon one, how we feel, what we're thinking, just physiologically, how we're feeling the situation, so many different variables, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And that affects our body language. And Mm -hmm. I believe even though I want to hear all the expert pieces from you, just what what I feel right? Not no, because I'm not the expert in this realm, but what I feel within the art of storytelling, how that can impact the way I tell a story even too. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. It can. Yeah. Are you coming from, are you telling the story because you're bragging? Are you telling the story? It could be the exact same story, but because you want to be of service, you know, who are you serving? You're serving yourself. Are you serving others when it comes to storytelling? You know, we've all had the experience where we've listened to someone talk about an accomplishment and we're cringing because it just feels so like ego driven. Right. And then we've heard people talk about their accomplishments and we're leaning in. We can't get enough because they're talking about something that they've overcome and they're coming from the place of humility and they're coming from the place of, you know, I'm sharing something that maybe it's a little dark, maybe it's a little traumatic, maybe um, isn't my best shining moment, but I live to tell, I live to get through it. And I'm sharing it with you because the story that I'm sharing is a path out of pain for someone who's listening and is experiencing the same thing. Yes. So that place that we come from when we share our our stories and we have many stories, we have micro stories, we have tiny, tiny stories, and we have big stories. So already today I've shared with you several of my own personal stories. I've shared two but we all have stories that we can dip into to be absorbers that we can share. Yeah. Mm. Gosh, I just, oh, yes. I Part three and a part four and a part 27. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> I could keep you on all day, but I want to be honoring too of, yeah. of your time, even though I'm loving this. Oh, I'm so glad you're loving it. Let, yes. Are you ready to go to number five? I am. All right, let's do it. Okay. Okay. This is one of my favorite questions. Okay. Does the modern leader embrace their faults or hide them? Oh my God. They embrace them. Ding, ding, ding. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You got it all right. Susan, you won. Got all five right. I'm so What did I win? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to win? (laughs) You you know, you know what? And and you'll explain and thank you. Uh, You know what? I feel like I won. It, It was, it's a, a feedback loop, right? It's the validation and the feedback loop that when I look at other people and I am reading them in the situation, you you know how a lot of people say you need to be an expert in this business. You need to call yourself an expert. And I've always resisted that label expert because it felt to me like it was separating me from someone else. Like I have more of this something than you have. And that just felt very divisive, right? To me, though, I have always known that I was very talented and gifted in being able to read body language, pick up on these clues without knowing that I knew any of this. I just could feel and see the microfacial expressions, the subtle little things that I didn't even know until now. Like now I'll pay attention to feet, right? But I... I probably looked at feet without knowing that that was potentially an indicator kind of thing. And so to me, this was a beautiful way. And thank you for this, for me to trust even more deeply when I pick up something that I I do have a bit of an understanding and a handle on this. And and I think we all do. We just have to pay a little bit more attention and give a little more awareness and a little more trust within ourselves, I, I, I believe. Yeah. And one of the things that we can do is we can look for clusters. So one of the things that I do recommend is that when you believe that you might be uh, decoding someone's body language and you think it's correct, look for another indication. So look for a cluster of three. Okay. For example, someone could be closing their arms and doing this, you know, they're, 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 
folding their arms in front of them. Okay. And traditional body language might say they're closed off. They don't want to talk to anyone. They're uncomfortable. Right. But it also could just be cold in the room. Thank you. It could just be cold. They really do want to be open. They want to connect, but you know, they're just, they're just freezing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So like if I'm leaning in and I'm making eye contact and you can tell that I, I don't seem from a physical perspective to be distracted with anything else, but my arms are over my chest and around my outer upper arms because I'm cold and I'm chilly and I'm like, Ooh, burr. Yes. That makes so much Mm -hmm. sense because I, I, and I do think that, well, don't you think I know I've seen it. Do you think or feel that you have seen so many people mistakenly make those assumptions because of one particular thing that then leads them to believe that that person is uh, feeling, believing, or acting in a certain way because of that particular body language piece? But that's not really the truth. Like you said, it's just this one piece, like they're cold. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I recommend to look for a cluster of three. Yeah. That look makes for so three much indicators. Mm-hmm. And you would start at the feet. Because the feet are the most unconscious. Usually we don't, we don't consciously control. We're not consciously aware of where our feet are going. Mm-hmm. So that's the most unconscious physical movement. Then I would look at uh, the um, orientation of your core. So when I say orientation, what I mean is like, what direction is it pointing? Ah, right. Mm-hmm. So I would look at orientation and I would also look at proximity, proximity, meaning, meaning how close are the two people? How close are they together versus apart? Yeah. Okay. And then I would look at the third thing would be hands and microfacial expressions, eye contact, breathing patterns are very hard to see, but we unconsciously have a very hard time, um, doing a different breathing pattern than what is natural. For example, if we're afraid, we hold our breath. It -hmm. goes back to fight or flight or like a bunny in a field. If you ever saw a bunny in a field, they freeze when you see them. Right. Right. So that goes back to that versus ah, more relaxed breathing pattern, a more calm breathing pattern. Um, So you could look at those three things and, and, and here's the, uh, something that you can use in general that more often than not is accurate. When you're looking at rapport, you're looking at two people and you want to assess how close are they in rapport or how far apart. Remember this, remember this a hundred percent rapport for let's say a male and a female traditional male and female is what position I'm going to say it again, a hundred percent rapport. Can we have a hundred percent rapport when you procreate? Oh yes, of course. Right. Yes. Yes. That's the only time though, really. Yeah. Right. When, yeah. W- right. When, when bodies are oriented to each other Yeah. and you close in proximity, mm-hmm. then you've got very close rapport then we use that as the model, right? Then if you see people are more distant, less rapport, body orientation starts to turn away, you know, away, even less rapport. And what's, what's like minimal rapport, you know, they're not even facing each other and there's a lot of space in between. Right. Right. right? So you look at things like that, or like you see this a lot in a bar, 
or a dating scenario where and, you know, the, the woman's sitting there having her drink at the bar and the man comes up and he's like this. Sideways he's like to this. Her. Right. Yeah. And she's like this. Right. Yeah. So he want, he's trying to get and she's not giving any indication. Right. right? So then you look at things like feet. You look ah, at, is she crossing, right. you know, is she crossing her legs, but her legs are pointing towards him. Okay. Now she's starting to, to be more interested. Right. Right. Even though her legs are crossed. Yes. Oh right? my if God. they're starting to swing towards him, then she's starting to be more curious and interested in whatever's in that direction. See, body language is such a fascinating piece of our existence, of our humanness, because it's something we all can pay attention to and learn a little bit about to give us clues and hints. And and honestly, I kind of feel like it would minimize the potential that some people have to misread a clue and then internalize it and personalize it to a degree Mm. where it triggers up so many different things within themselves that it stops them yeah. from maybe, you know, I want to go meet that person, but I'm so nervous and they're a celebrity and, uh, oh gosh, you know, yeah. but look at how open they are to the people in the room. They're talking to them one-on-one. They're standing in this group. They're approachable. I, yeah. I think it's that approachable piece, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we can get so caught up in that sometimes when we don't have some of this basic understanding like this. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's probably so much more in depth, right? Obviously with body language. Oh my gosh, this is fascinating. So in I, that situation, for example, if there was someone in the room that I wanted to meet, yeah, whether they're male or female, what I would suggest and what I would personally do is I would start mirroring their body language. Okay. Because people like people who are like ourselves. Sure. If you have good self-esteem and you like yourself, right. Then we are comfortable with people who are like us. And so if you just start matching their body language, even mirroring it and then start closing in proximity, like you don't have to be right in front of them. That might be, that could be a threat, right? So, so if you're face to face like this, it could yeah. be rapport or it could be combative. Right. Sure. Right. Right. It could be either yeah. one. So you don't have to be right in front of them doing exactly what they're doing. Cause that might be a little weird, <laughs> <laughs> a little strange, but why are you, you can, mirroring everything yeah, I'm yeah. doing? You weirdo. They brush their hair. You brush yes. their hair. Oh you know, they gosh. cough, you cough. That just gets too weird. But if you close in the proximity and you're near them and you have some of the same body language, then what will happen what, what we know through neuroscience is that your neuro, your neuro pathways and your systems will actually start to synchronize. Mm. You will start to sync up with them. Now, have you ever had this situation? Susan, have you ever been uh, on a show like this where you're interviewing and you and the guest do the same thing at the exact same time? You can't yes. even tell who, who leads or who follows. Yes. Okay. You were in such great rapport, even though it's through digital, right? right? Where my, you and I are miles away from each other, right. right? And maybe you move your glasses and maybe I move them to exactly at the same time. We are in such great rapport that our nervous systems are synchronized because uh. that's what we want. Our yeah. nervous systems are looking for itself. Ooh. We're looking for ourselves out there. 
I love it. Say that. We are looking. Listen to this. We We're looking for ourselves. Are looking for ourselves. Because when we find ourselves, it feels familiar. It feels safe. It feels like home. We're also for lo- looking for people that are the way we want to be. So we're either looking for people that are just like us or how we want to be. Either way, that's a future version of ourselves, you could right. argue. And so yeah. it's still ourselves. And so if you were to, in that scenario, take on that person's body language and close in proximity, and maybe every now and again, just make eye contact with a smile, Yeah, you might find yourself in a situation where you know they feel comfortable enough to approach you. Mm. Oh my God. Like this is, yeah. See, my mind is blown <laughs> and I, I, ha ha, I got them all right. And I, you guys know me. <laughs> Holly doesn't know me as well. We met a couple of years ago, um, really didn't con- talk or connect, but we did. Totally we came same. back around yeah. to one another yeah. a couple of months yeah. ago and it was like, oh my gosh, that's where we met. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Uh, but you all know me and you know that I so don't like pat my back here and like, ha 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 kind of thing. But I, I like, I love that I got these questions, right? I hope you did too. And I have a lot to learn, right? And I, I can play with this and I can keep practicing this and pay attention because now I have some of these tangible things that you've shared you know, with me, Holly, and with the audience to really start paying attention. Now, I I know that we don't have much time left and we didn't even get into your story and we didn't even get into storytelling. So I would be absolutely honored if you would be willing to come back. I would love to do this as a two-part kind of back-to-back. And um, are you, is there a part of your story, this story of fate, which was so profound and is so profound that you can share to kind of help the audience really understand what led you to this path, because there is so much more here that we didn't yeah. even barely unpack unpack and dive into yet. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want me to tell like a short version of my story? Yes, please. You want me to tell the whole thing? I, whatever you feel comfortable with, I'd love it. If you have the time to absolutely. I do. I do. I just want to make sure. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm happy to share my story and I'm definitely happy to share the whole thing and go ahead. Did you want to say? Well, and the reason that I want to share this now, even though we just kind of leapfrogged from kind of understanding the, you know, body language pieces and some of the beautiful insights and tools and tips that you've given us today is because this wasn't something that you paid attention to, it sounds like, from what little I know about your story mm. and your history. This mm. wasn't, you know, this wasn't something you just became like this expert in. It was something you lived from this own, your own journey. And I just always mm. feel like that's such an important piece for people to understand because I know that we have a tendency to put people up on these pedestals. And be like, oh my God, she's, you know, helped 250,000 people. And, you know, she's an in-house TEDx speaking coach and, you know, all these amazing, and you've been on stage with, you know, some top celebrities. 
and people can feel like, oh, well, I, I, I can't yeah. be like Holly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, I was definitely um, during my story and through my journey struggling um, in many different ways as the spiritually expressed human. And I can tell you that I had no idea that I was going to be an expert in this field. But if I look back and I'll share my story, if I look back at all the things that I went through, um, it's taken me this long in my life to get to this place in my life. Sure. Yeah. It just has. It's taken yeah. me this long in my life to get to this place in my life. Yeah. And I was being groomed and I was being um, taught all of these body language and storytelling things from a very young age uh, because modeling and acting is actually a lot of body language and all acting is storytelling and even wearing certain clothes on stage, you are telling a story, you know, are, are they all, you know, summer clothes, winter clothes, you know, uh, holiday clothes, I mean, whatever right. it's all body language and storytelling and it's all verbal communication and nonverbal communication. And so, you know, I've been doing this for, a, well, it feels like my whole life um, because my first fashion show was when I was seven. Wow. That was the very first time I was ever on stage. And my father was in radio, television, and film. So you could argue that it's kind of in my blood, I guess you could say. But at seven, you don't really know those things. Right. And I just happened to get an opportunity to be in a Macy's fashion show because my older sister worked for Macy's. Oh. And so they were having a fashion show and the little girl got sick and she couldn't show up. And my sister was like, Hey, how about my sister? And she was like, do you want to be in a show? And all I knew is I liked clothes. I was like, sure. I'll wear some cool clothes. But I was seven. I had no, you know, no training, no experience. I wasn't like in plays. I wasn't that kid who was, I was actually really shy. I'm, I'm actually an introvert who loves to communicate. Mm. I love to connect and I love to communicate with people, but I am definitely an introvert. So I wasn't that one that was like, put me on stage, you know, let me sing, let me act. That was not me, but I yeah. liked fashion. So when I got up on stage and I went out on, you know, in my outfit, I was terrified. And I just remember my mom and my sister in the audience and they kept saying, smile, 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 Holly. So I'm guessing I probably wasn't smiling. And I left that stage feeling like it didn't go the way I wanted. You know, I, I don't think I did my best, but I knew there was something different between me and the other kids that were in the show. And from the back of the stage, I could open up the curtains and I could see this little boy who was a little bit older than me. I was seven. He was probably nine. Super cute, sandy hair, green eyes. And he was wearing this little like three-piece suit. And he walked on the stage, he did a turn, he took off his jacket, he threw it over his shoulder, walked over to the other side of the stage. He had his cute little swagger. The whole audience was cheering for him. He walked over to the other side of the stage, did a turn, went to the middle. You know, I mean, he just, he owned it. Uh -huh. And even though I was young, even though I was seven, I could see a difference between me and him. Mm. He had confidence. He mm. had a knowingness of what to do. Mm -hmm. He had, I didn't know the word at the time, but he had charisma. Mm. And I didn't have that. And I wanted it. Mm. Even though I was seven, I thought 
I want to be like that. If you've ever had one of those moments where you said, I want to be like that. Yeah. That's where I was. And so I got more opportunities as I got older, you know, to, to be that. And so I started um, going into other fashion shows and TV commercials, and I just kind of stuck with it. And by the time I was in my early twenties, I was modeling by day, doing some TV commercials, as well as emceeing fashion shows. And at night I was working for the local modeling and acting company, helping kids ages four through 74 break into the industry. So I was teaching them how to ace their auditions, how to memorize commercials, how to walk on the runway, which by the way, is all body language because you're not talking. Right. And so I was learning and teaching these things. And we all know that when you teach it, you learn it even better. Right. And I was living my dream life. I loved it. I was making good money. I was doing what I loved and I was helping people. And isn't that the goal in life? Yeah, usually. And I thought, okay, I'm like 23. I've arrived. Like, well, how else could it get any better? Right. But what I didn't know is things were about ready to take a huge U-turn and just go completely in the opposite direction. And it was the day that my boss, John, called all of us runway instructors into the room. And he announced that he was going to be taking the company global, meaning he wanted his company to be the number one modeling and acting company in the world. Mm. He was definitely visionary and pioneering. He was mm-hmm. an incredible man. But in order to do that, we all had to look like celebrity models or actors. Mm. And in that moment, I knew I was in trouble because I don't look like a celebrity model. Celebrity models are 5'10", 5'11". I'm only 5'8". And they're very thin and willowy. They have a very specific body type. And even though I'd been working in the industry, I didn't have the industry standard body. I'm a little more curvy. I'm a little more athletic. And so I didn't have that tall, thin, willowy body. And so he started calling each of us on the runway and he pulled out a measuring tape. Oh my God. And he began to measure us publicly, our bust our waist and our hips. And so he called the first girl up on stage and he measured her and she was perfect. And I knew he'd say that because she was. And then he called the second girl up on stage and he said, perfect. And I knew he'd say that because she was. And then he called me. And so I got up there and I just kind of tried to squeeze my hips in as much as I can, exhale oh. all the air out of my lungs as he measured my bust, my waist, and my hips. Now, my bust and my waist were fine. But by the time he got to my hips, they were not one, not two, not three, but four inches too big. Now, wow. for you and me right now, four inches may seem like no big deal. But in yeah. the industry, it means you don't fit into the clothes. Wow. So it's actually a big deal. Wow. And he pointed at my hips, turned away from me, looked at everybody else. And said, if any of you have this problem, fix it or you're fired. Oh my God. And I was still on stage. What a blow. So I was publicly humiliated. I was embarrassed. Yeah. I felt like everyone else was perfect, but me. And like, I was dragging everything down and I was in so much pain. I mean, really like raw emotional pain. I decided I will never, ever, ever let this happen again. I'm going to do whatever I can to lose weight. Now, Susan, I'm five, eight. I was a size four. Oh my God, Holly. I was, I had no weight to lose. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just the natural shape of my hips. Sure. 
And I started exercising, dieting, and doing anything I could, taking every pill, powder, and shake, guaranteed to make you lose weight or your money back. But nothing got my hinges down because I was already healthy. I was already as lean and fit as I could be. Sure. Until someone that I worked with gave me a little bag of white powder and it was cocaine. Mm. And she said, try this. And I thought, well, I've tried everything else. Why not? And so I did it and it worked. So within a few weeks, I was strutting down the hallway in my new sleek physique, getting compliments from coworkers, accolades from my boss. Susan, I got a raise. Oh my God. I got a raise and a promotion. And so on the outside, it looked like I had it all together, but on the inside, I was falling apart. And I knew I was doing something that wasn't good for me. Have you ever done something that you knew wasn't good for you, but you did it because you wanted love and connection and acceptance? Of course. We've all done it. Yeah. And during the nights and the days, it was awful. I had headaches, heart palpitations, sleepless nights, sweating. Oh my gosh, that stuff makes you sweat profusely. You can't stop. And it certainly affects your mood. I wasn't the nicest person to be around, but- if I didn't take it, I would be humiliated again. And so that started my 10 year relationship on and off with drugs to manage my weight. It was all about managing my weight until I reached my thirties and things got really dangerous. I met someone, we got married, I got pregnant and I was able to quit while I was pregnant. Cause it's okay to gain weight while you're pregnant. Right? Sure. Sure. So that was okay. I was able to quit, delivered a healthy, happy baby. But within a few years, problems showed up in the marriage. And then I started using again. And our daughter was about three years old. The day that I walked into my bedroom and I opened up the door, I had this feeling that something was wrong because I couldn't find her. I looked in the bedroom. She wasn't there. I looked in the bathroom. She wasn't there. And I saw that my bedroom door was open just a little bit. You know, like you look down the hallway and you can see that crack. Oh no. And you get that like intuitive feeling that something's not right. Yeah. And so I opened the door and there's our blonde hair, blue eyed ball of sunshine sitting on the floor in her pink little tutu with the flowers on it. And she's holding my drugs. Oh my God. In her hands. Oh my God. I was terrified that she had ingested something. So I ran to her. I picked her up, checked her mouth. I'd gotten there just in time. She was safe. And I held her. And as I held her and hugged her, I heard a voice, like the voice. And I saw these pictures and images. And I know you're very intuitive and I am as well. But, you know, when you're using drugs, your intuition turns off. Right. All that goes away. And you become this robot of a Mm. human. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, it was turned on. And all of a sudden I heard these questions and the questions went like this. What if you didn't get there in time? What if she had ingested? What if you had to call 911? And what if they called CPS? Because you're using, what if they took her away from you and she lived her life with foster care? And the worst question of all, What if she never knew you because she was in foster care, but she was just like you. She ended up using. Oh my God. How scary. And 
all of that came flooding in, in a heartbeat. Yeah. And so there I was at this precipice of making another decision. I was in a new kind of pain because you know, that saying like, we're willing to do something. We're willing to do more for others than we are for ourselves. Yeah. I had tried to quit over and over. I tried to quit, but it wasn't until I really realized how it was affecting her and how I could be putting her life in danger that I got it. It took that for me to get it. Yeah. But thank God. Thank I God. I got it. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And in that moment, I made three decisions. So I was in a lot of pain, but I said, I will never have this happen again. Decision one, quit drugs. Decision two, I need to divorce because it's dysfunctional and we're both using. Number three, I need to quit my job. Because if I quit using, I'm going to be back to where I was before. And I couldn't handle that pain. And that's where I say, it's the story of fate. I went from addiction to entrepreneurship because I had no idea what I was going to do for, with my life. Yeah. How am I going to get out of this? And I had to do all three Susan at once. I quit cold Turkey with no support, no help. Didn't go to narcotics anonymous, which by the way, I do recommend if you or someone, you know, has this challenge, please seek professional help. Unfortunately, please. it just wasn't my path. Yeah. I didn't go that way. I quit cold Turkey. Wow. And the cravings were hellacious. As far oh, as the detox, oh my the God. Detox. Oh, honestly, Susan, I, I, I look back, you know, now as a clean, sober person and I go, I don't know how I did that other than just the grace of God, truly. Well, so, and it goes, I think as a testament to Holly, to your will, that deep, 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 deep desire, not just for your daughter, but that something when your intuition kind of was turned back on. It was that knowingness, that something inside that said, no, this isn't your path. This is your path. Yeah. And somehow you'll be held, whether you believe you have support or not, which you clearly didn't have external support in that way, but you had some kind of spiritual or some support, something within you that allowed you to have the strength and the determination and the resiliency to fight the detox, to fight the cravings. Because I know within my arena over my career, and one of my areas of specialty is addictions and substance abuse, cocaine, meth, heroin, like horrific detox and cravings and symptomology that just often makes people go right back to it. So first of all, I want Absolutely. to thank you for hearing that. Thank you for being willing to listen to that and to fight with yourself through all of that period, because I have not experienced it personally myself, but I have held the heads of many who have and borne witness to it. And it is unlike anything you can describe, truly. So thank well, you. For thank that. you. Thank you for the acknowledgement. And thank you. Thank Absolutely. you for that. And, you know, I, I say I didn't have help, but I, I did have help. I know I had spiritual guidance. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. I couldn't have done it without that. Yeah. And, you know, when we need a mindset shift, we need mentorship. Yeah. We need someone to help us. Sure. And so what got me through was what I call not fake it till you make it, but faith it faith it till you make it. Oh, I love that. Okay. That, that goes to Holly Mingdosi. 
uh, fake it till you make it. And I'm going to attribute that, of course, to you. But, oh, my God, that is absolutely precious. And that's what I had to do. I just had to have faith that even though it doesn't feel good, even though it's hard, this is the right choice. It is the right choice to leave the relationship, file for divorce, quit drugs and figure out what's my next thing. And so I was looking for support. I was looking for that mentor and I knew I was unhealthy physically and mentally. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to hire a personal trainer. So I hired Tom, the trainer and Tom, the trainer was tall, dark, handsome Italian, and he was gorgeous. And when I met him, he was like, you know, yeah, let's train together. So we started training together and honestly, Susan, he changed my life. And instead of me getting compliments for being skinny, I was getting compliments for being strong, totally different. And instead of getting accolades for skipping meals, I was getting accolades for eating the right meals. You know, to nourish my mind, my body, and my spirit. And so that completely started changing. It helped me with the detox. It gave me focus on something I loved. It helped me take care of me so that I could be a better mom. And, you know, I had no idea what was to come next because Tom, the trainer said, Holly, I think you're pretty good at working out. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've worked my with my body for years as a right. model at runway. And I've, I've been exercising, trying to, trying to turn my size four hips into size two hips, <laughs> you know? And uh, he said, I think you're pretty good at this. You should be a trainer. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm a natural teacher. I love helping women. I know the pain that women go through no matter what size you are. Most women at some point in their life are not happy with their bodies, no matter what size they are. I can relate to that. Yeah. And so he and I opened up our own fitness studio within four months of knowing each other. Wow. Within four months, I can talk about divine appointment. Oh, right. He was attracted to me. I was attracted to him. We were like, let's do it. This is crazy. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do this. And we opened up a brick and mortar fitness business and he trained the men. I trained the women. We started training families, husbands and wives and teenagers. And all of a sudden, everything started to make sense. It was like, oh my gosh, I've been coaching. I've been teaching my whole life. I've been helping women feel good about being in their skin, being on the runway, overcoming judgment from others, walking into a room with that it factor. I know how to do all that. And now I can help women and apply it to their daily life. Not because they want to be a model on the runway, but because they want to be a model of success, a model of fulfilling their dreams, a model of living in their best body, a model of taking care of your temple. That's what I want to help people model. I want to help them model confidence, charisma, and even improve couples' sex lives. We did all that. Oh my God. It was amazing. It seemed like, okay, I'm over the hump, but have you ever noticed that when you solve a problem, a new one shows up? Exactly. (laughs) Talk about being spiritually expressed human. Okay, here I am going, yay, I've achieved it. Oh, no, wait, not quite. So my next problem was I was embarrassed. I had shame because here I was supposed to be a model of health and fitness. What if my clients found out I was using drugs? Uh, I felt incongruent. I felt Mm -hmm. like I wasn't being authentic. Mm -hmm. But a little bit of my story I shared with one of my clients. And she made a powerful connection because when we share our story, there are two things that happen. 
there's a message that's delivered, but there's actually two messages. There's the message we intend to deliver. And number two, there's the message that they receive. And we have no idea what they're receiving because it's just for them. And when I shared my story with my client, she said, I get it. I get it. You didn't have an addiction to food, but you had an addiction to drugs and addictions addiction, which is why you have so much compassion for people like me. Yeah. And I thought, huh, I never thought of that, but I think you're right. And so the saying is true that facts tell, but stories sell. And so she went to her church and she told her friends, her family, that everyone at church about my story, about what I've overcome. And it was the story that doubled our business because all of those people came to us and all of a sudden our full business turned into a mega business and we doubled our business. We were able to serve an incredible community who knew the authentic me, the real me and the real, you know, Tom, we shared everything. And we actually found that we created a new family, a new, a new community. And it was incredibly powerful, healing and transformational because these people knew the good, bad, and the ugly about me. Well, and it had to improve your healing as well, your continuation of your journey of healing, because here are these people who know the real Holly, who know the real story, and they're embracing you feeling a connectedness to you and with you. And it's helping them, not just in the personal training world, but it's helping them within themselves, within those messages that they're receiving that you may or may not know, right? Like you said. And that, I think to me, that's charisma. Mm. To me, that's the piece that if, if I can inspire you, I may have an intention of sharing, you know, and, 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 you know, correct me if I'm kind of an error here, but I, I've kind of always viewed it. Like if I have this intention to share a story about myself or my life or some challenge from this place of service, from this place of intention of just being more myself and vulnerable and authentic to you, because my intention and hope is that it will somehow trigger something positive for you on your path of evolution and change. And you hear these messages yourself, and I may not know. As this inspiring person who I may not even realize I've inspired you, right? Then you come back to me at some point and you're like, I relate and I get that and I'm connected to that. Well, now that's another feedback loop that says, see, it is okay to be you. It is okay to be all that you are. Why a leader of today, a modern leader would be more open to sharing their faults Mm -hmm. versus not, because Mm -hmm. it's like, look, this is who we are and what we're about. And isn't this how we all help and support and uplift one another by showing up in that most, the most authentic way we can, right? You know, wherever each of us are at. And to me, that is charisma because that's the person then that I want to be like. Like, how did you get there? How did you do this? And what's beautiful about your story is you didn't do anything, right? You didn't intentionally think like, oh, I'm going to go share my story because then this person will relate to me more. It was, I need to show up a little differently here because I have these fears of what if they know this or that. 
And I felt comfortable in that moment with that particular client to share this little bit. And she received it so openly and compassionately and lovingly. And you com- you had a communication and then she shared it and yeah. others went, yes. And yeah. then they're like that, Holly, who is this? I want to go find her and be with her and meet her and learn from her and train with her. Like, yeah just kind of the whole cycle. Would you say that's kind of how it works when someone tells a good story? Mm. Well, I, you know, good is not the right word, but you know what I they mean? They tell their story. They yeah, tell, they tell the, story. the good, the bad, and the ugly. Cause because the best stories aren't all good. The best stories are the train wrecks. <laughs> We're just wired to watch train wrecks. Right. But, but, but the best story is not just the train back wreck, but it's the comeback, it's right? Comeback. It's the comeback story. Yeah. That's really the greatest story of all time. And that's Tony Robbins who said that the comeback story is the greatest story of all time. And we all have a comeback story. We all have things that we've been through that are what I call the pit. And you've gone through the pit, you figured out how to get out. And now you're out of the pit. And, you know, you mentioned when you were just speaking that in that moment, I didn't intend to let me tell your story. So you feel more connected to me. That was not my intention, but it is what I learned. Right. Yeah. It is what I learned. And it is my intention now. Yeah. It's a hundred percent my attention now to share my story, um, to connect with somebody who might relate to it, who might still be in the pit. You know, I hope someone hears the story that they can relate because they're going through something similar and it can be a ray of hope, yeah. you know, that, and, and what's so beautiful that a lot of people don't realize is that we're afraid to tell our story because we're afraid of fear and judgment. But here's what the audience sees. They don't see fear and judgment. They see contrast. Mm. Contrast is this. When you meet me, I might look like I have it all together. But the contrast is there was a time when I was completely falling apart in every way, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so when you see that contrast, just like the name in the show, the spiritually expressed human, that's the human part of us. Yeah. And it's yeah. our spiritual divine journey to keep going. Right. To not give up, to faith it until you can make it and find your way out of that pit. So that the, the way that I envision it, Susan, is this, when you're in your pit, you're in a hole, right? Right. And if you can figure out how to get out of the pit. Those are your steps, your process, if you will, of how you got out. And then when you're out, you're on a pinnacle, pinnacle meaning the high point. Right. So maybe you started out at, you know, sea level, and now you're on a vista where you can see 360. And when we can see 360 and we can see that somebody else is still in that pit, Isn't it our divine duty to show them the rope, to throw the rope down that we've already fastened knots on each rung of the rope and we throw that rope down in the form of a story Mm. and we say, here's how I got out of that pit. You just grab the first rung, which is this, the first thing that I learned We need to go where we're celebrated, not tolerated. Yes. I'm going to say that again. 
We need to go where we are celebrated, not tolerated. I was tolerated. I was imperfect. I was not good enough for the high standards of some people when I was in the modeling and acting industry. But when I went into fitness, I didn't have to be perfect. I just had to be healthy and have a servant's heart. And that was celebrated. So that's the first rung, right? The second thing that I realized is when we empower our body, we empower our life. And I really disempowered my body with drugs. I disempowered me, my emotional body, my mental body, my physical body, my spiritual body, me as a mommy. I mean, I disempowered everything. Oh my God. Yeah. And so when we empower our body and listen to our body, that's our temple on how to eat or what to give it or how to sleep or how to move in ways that feel good. Like what's the way, what's the exercise thing for you? Maybe it's not weightlifting like it is for me. Maybe it's dancing or ballet, or maybe it's swimming in the ocean, or maybe it's belly dancing. I don't know, whatever your thing is, right? Empower <laughs> right. your body right? because when your body's empowered, you stand taller. And yeah. when you stand taller and you're, you're confident to take up more space, that is the body language of leadership. Mm. leaders always take up more space vertically and horizontally. And so that was the second thing that I learned. I have to empower my body. And when I say body, I mean, all the bodies, all the bodies, all the bodies, right? Yeah. The third thing that this taught me was the power of storytelling. It really was like our stories, the more we hide them. And of course, with the history and the background that you're in, you're only as sick as your secrets. I know you know that I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah. And so when we share and we're not keeping it secretive anymore, and we're speaking from the place that we're not a victim, we're not being used by our story. We're using our story, right? We're using our story because we're on the pinnacle. We're throwing that rope down, sharing our story with others, with the intention of here's the path out of pain. If you're dealing with the same pain that I went through, Here's how. And my story sounds like it's about drugs. It's not actually all about drugs. No. It's actually about perfectionism, self-acceptance, self not fitting in, self-worth. Not fitting. Yes. Yes. So you know, yeah. finding your tribe, yeah. having the courage yeah. to say, no, that's not right. Speak up, find your voice, right. defend yourself. All of those things. Right. And more. It's it's even more, it's about parenting. It's about having faith. I mean, the story is about so many layers and your story has that too. Your story has so many lessons and so many layers to it that you're conscious of only some of them, only some of them, only when you share it with somebody else and they get to reflect to you, this is what I learned. This is what I'm extracting. This is what I'm gleaning from your story. This is how this is helping me. That's when we get to see the many layers of our story. And when I got the power of storytelling, I started to feel a new calling. So I I left the modeling and acting industry for fitness. Then I started to feel like, I think I want to get on stage again, but not as a model or actress. I want to get on as a public speaker and Mm. I want to share health and fitness tips to help women around the world feel more confident and embody their strength, their power, their feminine beauty their creativity, all the things that we have. And so as I started studying more and more about public speaking, I started working with some of the best in the business, Bo Eason, 
Brendan Burchard. I had already trained with Tony Robbins as a coach, as a transformational coach with him. I'd already gone through tons of training. As I said, I'm a seminar junkie, love to learn. (laughs) And as I started learning, I started to feel this new calling. So it wasn't a calling to actually speak on the topic of health and fitness. It was like, I just really love speaking. I love listening to motivational speakers, inspirational speakers. And I would find myself at these events and I would listen to these speakers and I would see two different types of speakers. One speaker that had a fabulous message and the audience was leaning forward and they're glued and they're tuned in and they'd make an offer and everyone runs to the back of the room to sign up for their offer. You know what I'm talking about, Susan. You've been there. Oh, yeah. And then I'd see this other speaker. Amazing content. Fantastic takeaways. But there were things they were doing on stage that was disconnecting them from the audience. For example, one woman, when she was making her offer, instead of doing this with her hands, like come with me, yeah, she was doing this, which means stop. Oh, wow. And it means get away. Right. So she's sharing her offer and she's telling the audience, stop, get away, distance myself from you. And so I would see these subtle things that these speakers were doing. And I thought, gosh, if I could just show her that this little shift could make a massive difference in the impact and her income and the transformation that she creates in the world. So I started to feel this new calling of actually leaving fitness and moving over to storytelling and body language. And you know what happened, Susan? I resisted it. Why do you think? Because when it's our path, when it's truly our path and our purpose, resistance is natural. Resistance is a part of that path. Say that again. I want, I want you all to really pay attention to this again, because I know I feel resistant about things. I know I felt resistant about things. I know there's resistance that shows up in our lives often in many different ways. So say that again, Holly, because I think this is super important. Yeah. In almost all of the most powerful stories throughout years and throughout the globe, the chosen messenger doesn't feel worthy, doesn't feel good enough, resists that I am the one. I'm not good enough. I'm not the one. You got the wrong person. And that's what makes them perfect. To deliver the message. Take that in for a second. Because an episode not too long ago, maybe last week even, was about worthiness and imposter syndrome and how we are all worthy. So this ties in so beautifully because it's so natural to resist. You know, what's that phrase that I think uh, the first time I think I heard it, not that he was the first was through Neil Donald Walsh uh, conversations with God when he said, what you resist persists. And again, it may not have been, I don't believe there's any original thought to be honest, but what you resist persists. And, And I know that through my career with my clients, when they struggled to understand that, I would have them take their right and left hands and cup them and cup them together, right? So like they're trying to pull both of their hands apart. And they're pulling and pulling and there's no movement. But if one arm just relaxes the muscles and then they go to pull, there's an effortless flow, right? So if we 
lean into the resistance and we welcome and surrender into it and really kind of step into that place within ourselves as to what is this resistance really all about? Oh my gosh, it, the resistance won't persist anymore because we're welcoming and accepting and stepping on that path, whatever that may be. Right. Yeah. So I, so, oh, I love that. So then, so you resisted it. And then what, what kind of happened then? Well, I was misinterpreting the resistance. Okay. I believe there's two kinds of resistance. You either feel resistance because you're truly not supposed to go on that, that path. Okay. Like you're in a fork in the road mm-hmm. or you feel resistance because it really is your path and you're not feeling worthy. And so I think that a self internal analysis or evaluation should be done where you can really sit with it and say, am I resisting this because I'm afraid of success or failure? Right. Or am I resisting this because I'm actually being pivoted or guided to go in a different direction? And so what it was for me was it was definitely the feeling of I'm, I'm afraid I'm not good enough you know, to, to do this Mm -hmm. and what a big responsibility it is. These are, these are speakers that want to be on stage to change millions of lives. Who am I to help them? And so I started studying more and more about storytelling. And when I started studying some of Joseph Campbell's work, which is one of the originals on, you know, studying global stories. And when I learned that resistance actually is part of the hero's journey, it doesn't mean that you're off your path. It actually means you're on your path. Wow. That's when I embraced the resistance and said, oh, I am in essence, the chosen one for this work. That's why I'm resisting it. Cause it's my humanness. It's my fears that are yeah. showing up. Yeah. And then I just had to take inventory and play a game and say, well, if I was qualified for this, just play. What might make me qualified? And so I actually had to write out a list from my own mind, my own mindset. Why am I qualified to do this? What experience have I had? And then I wrote down a list of, you know, I've been watching body language for 30 years of women on stage for modeling, subtle things, tweaks and fingers, facial expressions, toes. I mean, tiny little micro things. And then I realized storytelling. Yeah, everything I was doing in the modeling and acting world is all storytelling. And I'm a mom. I've been telling stories, put my kids to sleep forever. They love my stories. So, okay, what else do I have? So I actually started making a list of my assets, not my liabilities. And when you have a list of both, if you're focusing on your liabilities, that's the way the scale is going to tip. Right. But if you can make your list and really dig deep, all about your assets, why might you be qualified for this? Then it really starts to build some confidence. And I actually had to write on a piece of paper. Uh, I I hand drew a certification that said, I'm qualified to be a public speaking coach. I love it. Because I'm qualified by God. Oh my God. I'm qualified by God because of what I've been through. I love this. This And I put it on my wall. Not quite the same, but it had kind of the same effect for my little five-year-old at the time who used to keep calling me mean mommy. And I just kind of got tired of it one day. And I said, that's right. I graduated top of my class, mean mommy school. And later that night, I made a little certificate 
from Mean Mommy University and I put it up. But what it caused him to do was to realize that he was just, even at five, he was just kind of reacting to his frustrations and his, you know, whatever it was that he wanted. And he was kind of pointing it at me. And when I was like, yes, I did graduate from this, it was profound for me as well, because in watching his behaviors change toward me and no longer kind of use that because now he's thinking, oh boy, she really did graduate from this school. So I better be careful. (laughs) Also softened his way in which he interacted with me when he'd want something and wasn't getting his way. And that allowed me to soften the way I was behaving and reacting toward his reactions. Beautiful. So it's a weird kind of like different, but I have heard that multiple times. That's Mm. part of the act as if and kind of, you know, fake it till you make it, create that certificate, create that document, create those things that will help you step into kind of a deeper place of embodying, believing, knowingness, really owning that. Like when you were walking in the grocery store at Trader Joe's Mm -hmm. and the very kind of, I'm in my model walk today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Own it and act as if, and, and, you know, with your story and and I love the short stories that you're sharing too. um, Most people are just really afraid. The biggest, the biggest thing that I have with speakers in the very beginning is I'm just afraid to share my story. And so to that, I say this, people will care more about your success when they have compassion for your struggle. They have to have compassion for your struggle or or all the goodness that you've been through and all your credentials and your certifications and where you graduated from. It won't matter because there's a hundred other people that have the same thing. Yeah. It truly is. So when you, when you really start to share your story, you're going to notice a deep level of connection and bonding. And so the first step is to share it with people that you trust, share it with someone that you trust. I shared it with a a group of of close friends and I was so scared to share my story that the first place I shared it was my car in the dark on the phone. I didn't want my family to hear because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I had been quote a bad mom. And so I'm in tears sharing my story with my friends on the phone and, you know, I'm feeling humiliation. I'm feeling like I have low standards. I'm feeling just all this stuff and judgment, self-judgment. And what my friends reflected to me is I don't see that. I see wisdom. I see courage. I see that you, you did change your life and it was very difficult. So, oh my gosh, how strong are you? I see an amazing mom. How many other girls and little boys are there out there that wish that their parents had made the choice that you made. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. And so when they reflected back to me, all the other things that I couldn't see, it started to give me a whole new spectrum of perception of myself. And I'm not saying it's still not scary. Sometimes it is. Sure. Sometimes I do share a little bit more. I mean, there's different There's more layers to my stories and there's more vulnerable parts to my story that I haven't shared here just because of time, but each time it gets a little easier. And each time I think it builds more awareness and confidence because I know I'm making a difference for somebody else who needs to hear that story and needed it right at that moment. And, you know, there's a happy end to the story, which makes it also easier to share. So Tom, the trainer, 
turned into being Tom, my husband. I know. I love, <laughs> I love that part. I'm like, I didn't want to spoil it earlier because I did know this. I knew that part already. Yeah. Cause uh, you know my story. Yeah. And, and I love, I, I almost said it like, Oh, Tom, the trainer became Tom, the husband. Yep. I'm like, shut your mouth, Susan. It's not your story. <laughs> it's Holly's story. Leave it alone. She'll tell it. I love that. And you guys have been together for a long time now, right? Yeah, uh, together for 16 years and married for 13. Mm. And yeah, our passion for health and fitness and for helping each other um, and people just turned into a passion for each other. And we have a son together. His name is Jordan. Oh, yep. And, um, we still work out together. We still, we still do all of that together. And, you know, our paths now have gone two different directions. Obviously we don't have our brick and mortar business of beyond fitness anymore. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. you know, TEDx coach and speaking and, and all of that. And, um, he's actually in sales, but you know, we made it through and we yeah. made it through together yeah. and he's, he's my rock. He's, he's my Superman. He's my superhero. He, you know, we I call each that. other an 11 because he's one and I'm one, but when we're together, we're an 11. Thank so. you. Thank you for saying it like <laughs> that and not going we're two because yeah. the, 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 I, and I'm, this isn't a judgment of that. I just, one of the, most incredible things in a sad way that I have seen over the course of my life as a human being in different professional capacities, and I've done it as well, I did it in my first marriage, is where we look at this partnership, whatever it may be, and we see it as a completion. And Mm -hmm. I've always ever seen it as a complementariness, right? That it's Mm -hmm. complementary to each other to evolve and grow together in this thing we call this relationship, however we define that, but it's not a completion. I'm whole and complete all by myself. And so are you. And, and so it's the, it's the Holly show. It's the Tom show. (laughs) And then there's the Holly and Tom Tom. show. And then there's the Holly and Tom and children's show. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I know Jordan's name uh, your other child's name, Madison, Madison. Madison. So that it's the Holly and Tom and Jordan and Madison show. Right. And it's so many different shows that we kind of are, you know, living in and, and yes. And, and if we look at this as just this completion, then we, I just feel like we narrow our perspective and our view and it's almost like watching a movie theater in a big yeah. grand movie theater with a singular kind of little tiny, tiny little mm. uh, pinhole. Yeah. And we can't see any of the periphery and we can't see anything else. Gosh, what a big, beautiful world. So I, I still, I know we've been on much longer, longer. than we originally anticipated. Thank you so much for the extra time because just such a dynamic convo. I still, and I promise if we, if we're able to coordinate another recording, because quickly, I because I would love to go into just a few of the things about body language and storytelling a little yeah. bit more specifically, because you said something before about sharing your story. And my inquisitive curiosity was, is there uh, a story or are there, t- or are there types of stories then that you should not kind of offer up because I know for me, I've never really had a problem sharing my stories, the vulnerable deep parts of me. I think that's the actual thing that saved me, to be honest with you, from not going down that stereotype path within my experiences 
right? Because I was willing to share because that was a bit of how I processed too for myself, right? And, but it really was in service to help others. It was like, because I was always a bit of this badass, fierce underdog fighter, although I've never been a fighter in my life. I'm a lover of truth and life, not not that at all. But it was, my God, we are bigger than these bodies, people. Like, don't be afraid. This is expansive, right? And I've yeah. always kind of saw that and lived like that. And yet I have struggled beyond belief to find the stories, quote unquote, that would best, and I know that's where you come into play, but that would, I guess, to say the word best as a bit of a judgment word that are the best or the most profound potentially to start with. I know I aspire to do a TEDx talk. Absolutely. That has been on my bucket list since I was a teenager or whenever TED first came around, not TEDx, but TED first, right? So maybe not teenager, but somewhere in that earlier parts of my life. Wasn't that just yesterday? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I love you. You're so awesome. I'm almost 60. Um, I'm I'm pushing that end of the spectrum. I don't feel it and I'll never act like it. I'm still acting as if I'm 20. (laughs) Me too. To me, adult adult is just another word for a kid who's been around for a while. Yeah, that's honestly like it. But so like, I know I've struggled. And if I've struggled, I know a lot of my audience and friends and people I know have struggled too. So I would, I would be honored if we can find a coordinated time to kind of reconnect and dive in a little bit. Is there something that you can kind of offer up mm-hmm. in this moment that could really give them something to kind of like, okay, besides getting in touch with you, which, and, and grabbing your, you have a, a 15, hot, 15 hottest hand gestures yep. uh, for charisma and leadership free gift that you'd like to offer, which thank you so much for that. And I'll yeah, give you the pleasure. website in, in a couple of minutes here, but is there something you could offer up yeah. that would help people listening to really kind of understand how to start to think about their stories, Yeah, adding these body language pieces in to, to like not be afraid and pay attention to that so yeah. that they can keep moving forward? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I experience when someone is considering sharing their story is they have fear. I'm just totally afraid to share my story because of judgment. Um, And there's lots of different fears. You could be fear of uh, judgment of someone, you know, is going to judge you or someone you don't know is going to judge you. There's lots of different things. Um, Some people are afraid to tell their story because there's somebody else is in it and they don't want that other person to be seen in a negative light. Yeah. So for example, uh, my, my boss, right. My boss, John is in my story and I change his name. Simple thing you can do. I change his name to protect him. Right. And by the way, I have no judgment about him. He's not the villain in my story. Um, he taught me many wonderful things, but he played this role in my story so that it could help me have a story. I believe. Yeah. I believe the whole purpose was so that I would have a story so that I could help people with storytelling. So, um, you know, really recognizing that you have the freedom to make the story however you want. And if you need to protect someone, then do that. Change the name. You can change the gender. You can change their role. You know, if they were a teacher, then make them an extra neighbor, for example. So that's one of the fears that people have with storytelling. Um, one of the main things that I see too is 
that they haven't healed the story. Mm. So you don't want to reveal what you haven't healed, because if you haven't healed, then you're not communicating from the place of leadership. You're you're communicating your story from the place of support me. I'm still, I'm still not through this. Mm. And that is not the place that you want to stand on stage and share a story with your audience. Your audience cannot feel as though they have to take care of you. That is not the, the dynamics you want. Yeah. So if you have a story and it's the one you want to share like mine and you haven't healed it, you need to get into a situation where you're with friends or you can start doing little practice runs with your story and start sharing it in a safe community so that you can, you know, and maybe you need to get some therapy. Yeah. Is the story that traumatic that you need therapy? If it is be an adult, get, do whatever you got to do. To yeah. take care of that right. and heal that. And don't just pretend that it's not there because right. I guarantee, I guarantee whatever you feel about your story will show up on stage. Oh, it I will hundred percent yes. show up. I You're not fooling anybody. No, I have so seen that. And I don't think I'm unique just because I feel like I have a bit of a, uh, insider understanding, it just kind of is a little more obvious for me sometimes. I don't think that's true. I think it's true for everybody, right? You know, yes. and like you don't have to have this insight, quote unquote, or whatever. You could feel that. It's kind of like animals who can feel the fear yeah. in humans, right? Yeah. You know, you just, you feel that energy and it's just like, ah, and, yeah. and I want to repel it and push it away yes. and put up that wall. When I hear that from, you know, a speaker, which yes. many times, unfortunately, yeah, they yes. didn't go to Holly Magnosia is what happened. That's right. That's right. <laughs> People, <laughs> let me help you. Let me, let me take you through the process. I've yes. been in the pit. I know I've been there. I know what it takes to get out. And I've yeah. done it with many people over and yeah. over and over and over and over again. So then the number one rule is do tell your story. The number two rule is don't reveal what you haven't healed. So how do you find yourself caught in between those two bookends? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you go to someone who can support you in sharing it. And then ideally, yeah, you hire a coach who can show you how to tell your story the right way and the wrong way, which maybe on part two, we can do a little deep dive on. Oh, I would be honored. I would love that. Well, any final insight, words of wisdom, thoughts that you'd like to leave this audience with? Hmm. Let me just tune in. I think just that your story is meant to be told and it's meant to be told by you and heard by the one who really needs to hear it the most and by the many who can get that story to the one who Mm. really needs to hear it because your story can literally save someone's life. Thank you for that, Holly. You know, it, it brings tears to my eyes for a few reasons. One, because it's truth to me, that's truth embodied in words that it is You know, we all have a story to tell. We all matter. We're all important. We all have gifts and talents to share. As I say, and you all know, week after week on this show. And it's about sharing that piece, those pieces, right? Your story. So that those that need to hear it 
that one can find it. And it brings tears because I know the areas where I have not done that. No matter how many stories I've shared or how vulnerable I've been willing to be, that I have, and they, and, and my audience knows this, and I'm sharing this with you directly, I have kept myself small over the years. And I know where and how and why. And I have been progressing through that for the last few years, not being willing to hide behind any of the fears that I may have had about whatever, right? As I've talked about on other episodes, I, I think that's so important for everybody to really take in and sit with and be still with, because I do honestly do not believe that we would be in form in this body at this time of our evolution if there weren't stories, experiences, who we are, how we show up if there weren't reasons for that and impact within that and shifting and consciousness raising that needs to happen within that. And if we hide out being afraid, we never will. And I don't know about you, but if we come back over and over again, I don't really want to come back and do this all over again, just to get to this point where I kind of left off because I got too scared. I'd rather kind of like, you know, experience this life and kind of feel like, oh, okay, good. You know, I've experienced all that I came here. I'm, I'm good. And if I do come back again, then it's like another part of the evolution. I don't want to have to repeat. You know what I mean? That would yeah. not be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I honor you and thank you so much. And, and if you're, if you're paying attention, uh, which I, I know you have been, and I hope you, you really take in some of these beautiful words and tips and tools and strategies and Holly's story that she shared with us today, go grab her 15 hottest hand gestures for charisma and leadership. Again, to me, that doesn't mean you have to be this person who has this intention to be this big leader. You are a leader, whether you realize it or not, whether you're leading one or you're leading 1 million, uh, you can go and I'll have it in the show notes. It's HTTPS, you know, the typical website, uh, colon forward slash forward slash www.holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y, Mignosi, M-I-G-N-O-S-I.com, hollymignosi.com forward slash hot 1515. And again, that'll all be in the show notes. And if you're interested in learning more about Holly and working with Holly, hiring her, if you have aspirations to be a TEDx speaker, if you are interested in being a speaker on stages, getting the kinds of speaking gigs you've dreamed of and you do not seem to be finding for yourself, please allow Holly to help mine and craft that story with you because she is an incredibly beautiful soul. You do not see her live, but I can tell you just by looking at her picture, I guarantee you'll feel the pure essence of Miss Holly Mignosi. I don't know why I keep wanting to say like Magnum. I don't know, but Holly Mignosi and recognize that she can take you to where you want to be. 
I am honored that you spent so much time with us here today, Holly. Thank you so much. I just adore you. And, and I hope that we can set up a part two. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for um, sharing what you see in me. Uh, that, that really means a lot to me. And if someone is interested in exploring their story, it would be my honor and privilege to support them in that process because, um, yeah, it lights me up. It really does. So thank you so much, Susan, for allowing me to be here. Thank you for asking the brilliant questions that you asked. And let's continue to talk about how to make a part two. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> for now, everybody, go have an amazing, beautiful, spiritually fully expressed badass week. And I will see you on the other side next week. Ciao for now. You've been listening to The Spiritually Expressed Human, a show where we come together to navigate the human experience as the fully spiritually expressed divine badass we were all born to be. If you found value in today's show, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and share it with others so that collectively we can come together to raise the global consciousness of the planet and all become the spiritually expressed divine human beings that we are all here to be. If you'd like more information or some free gifts, please go to www.susandesenzi.com and click on the free gifts tab to get yourself started. All the information and links are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and have a beautifully spiritually expressed badass week.